What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. This is Alexander Freed, author of the Alphabet Squadron novels, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. A Utini production. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Episode 66, Shadowfall Roundtable Part 1. Execute. Episode 66. On this episode, new Utini videos on YouTube. Execute. Episode 66. Make a deal with the Kanja Book Club. I never made a deal with Kanja Club. And the Utini team talks about the new Star Wars novel, Alphabet Squadron, Shadowfall by Alexander Freed. And now, here are your hosts. Do it. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Welcome to the Living Force, everyone. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me... About a half hour after we thought, are the doctors? Dr. Corey Helton first. Hello. 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 We've had a crap ton of technical issues so far tonight, and that's because I started drinking again. That's yeah. exactly it. Don't do that, kids. You know who would tell you not to do that? Uh, Dr. Charles Hankel. What's up, buddy? You're darn right. Hello there, everybody. Don't be like Corey. <laughs> just, just in general. Um, but also, looking out for the kids and making sure they don't turn into Corey is the man behind the keys, Wes Jenkins. Hello. What's up, cool rats, Discord friends? Discord friends. We have our, our lovely friends in there. What do we got? We got Meg. We got Joxie. We got Emma. We got Charizard. It's a great group. We're so excited to spend tonight with you talking all about Shadowfall. Um, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. You have just found one of the most inclusive and positive fan communities in the history of the galaxy. If you're new to reading Star Wars, you got to check out utini.com for reviews, reading guides, and everything you need to dive into and explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe. We have a vibrant online community, which you can join by heading over to utini.com slash discord and a Patreon jam-packed with hours of extra content at patreon.com slash utini. We host this live show on Twitch every Monday at 7 p.m.-ish Eastern Time. And the audio podcast is released on Thursdays for our patrons and Fridays on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Here we go. All right, everyone. Uh, Big news this week from the Utini front. We launched our YouTube channel on Wednesday. Corey, what did we release? How did it go? Yes. So we've been talking a lot about launching YouTube for a long time. Um, you guys have heard us uh, talk about that here on the show even before. And really the reason for that is taken so long. Utini started in 2017. It's taken us like three years to really get this thing off the ground. Um, the barrier entry is just so huge with YouTube. To create good YouTube content, you really have to just put a lot of time and effort into cameras and sets and acting. 
Uh, you have to find the right people to be the people behind the camera. Uh, we put a ton of work into YouTube, and I'm so excited. I'm so pleased with how, how good it's turned out. I mean, geez, it looks really fantastic. Um, and uh, we, we launched YouTube officially last week. So if you haven't seen it already, go to YouTube, search for Utini, and you can find our channel. Uh, we launched with two videos, Canon versus Legends, like just kind of explaining the difference between the two. That's one of our most popular pieces of content. And also the uh, Alphabet Squadron Shadowfall review. So on our YouTube channel, we are going to do book reviews. We're going to do full guides, um, kind of stuff that's similar to our website already. Uh, Emma and Jake so far have done really great content. Nathan's going to be putting out some good content soon there as well. Um, but guys, I'm like super stoked about launching a YouTube channel. Yeah, it, it looks so good. I, I am I am blown away by the work everyone on that channel has done behind the scenes um, and in front of the camera. So stay tuned. We're going to talk a little later in the show about our stuff that's coming up next. But speaking of things coming up on Tuesday, so if you're listening to this on audio, it's already come out. If you're watching us live tomorrow, we have Dr. Aphra, a Star Wars audiobook original, releasing finally on Audible. Um, it is going to be an adaptation of the Darth Vader, excuse me, Dr. Aphra's introduction in Darth Vader, as well as a couple other stories. On Utini.com right now, we have an article Meg Dowell wrote about an excerpt that's over at StarWars.com. And tomorrow, Tuesday the 21st, with the release, you'll get a written review from me. You'll get a video review over on YouTube from Jake. And we have a reading guide, a collection, if you will, about all the Dr. Afro content you can want at Utini right now. We are all about Afro Week. Uh, can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts on it. It's really, really spectacular. Yeah, it's been really good. I started today, actually. Uh, I'm a little behind of, like, everybody on the team is so good at, at keeping up with reviews and stuff, but I started it today. I know, Charles, you finished it as well. Eric, you finished it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super good, guys. Like, it's uh, it's it's original. The It's an audio drama, right? It's not just an audio yes. book, right? It's an audio drama. Um, which is, is this the official title, by the way, an audiobook original? Is it, that what they're calling? That is what they're calling it. Uh, That's kind of interesting. Yeah, because it is definitely an audio drama akin to Dooku Jedi Lost. Um, in my review, full and in Jake's review, yeah, it, we talk about that. It's a full cast review. It is very much uh, a spiritual successor to that project from last year. And oh boy, do I hope we get one of these a year at least. Yes. Oh my gosh, please. Like Dooku was, was such a fantastic gift last year. So it's really good. It takes some getting used to Dr. Afra is certainly a very in your face, very energetic <laughs> yes, comic book character, right? I mean, she's a comic book character. So you have to, you have to imagine you're reading the pages in a comic, like as you're doing it. So we are going to do a full round table on that too. I think it's going to be a single episode one. Is that right, Charles? Probably so. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the story, for those of us at least that have read the comics, isn't new. I think we can probably get through it a little bit quicker. Yeah, so we're going to be planning to do a single episode roundtables on both Dr. Afra and on Dark Legends from George Mann, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week and a little later on in this show. For the last couple of weeks, we have also asked our lovely listeners for some more podcast reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, all these places. Helps get the word out about the show. And within the last week, we got two, and I just wanted to highlight those and say thank you. To red underscore S with a little three in there says we are full of positivity and knowledge and gave us five stars and says these guys are awesome super down to earth and relatable and they make the entry point to the extended universe accessible thank you so much for that and Ashley twenty three oh eight just says great book podcast five stars I've loved Utini since its launch and I adore this podcast the hosts are engaging and I enjoy their book roundtable well here you go. Uh, it's awesome to hear from other people that are as passionate about Star Wars books as I am. Definitely give them a listen. And man, if that isn't why we do it. 
just for the yes. passion of the books. We'd love that. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, by the way, we'd love if you would do that. It helps people find us on iTunes. Um, and uh, it, it always brings us a lot of joy to, to see if people are really interested. You know, we always talk about our community, like being super active. I know a lot of you guys listen to the live show and participate in the live show and come on and introduce, introduce yourselves in the comments and say hello and participate actively in the live show. But I know a lot of you guys are not able to be here on Monday nights at seven o'clock, whether or not you're international or you have a different time zone than us. Um, we totally get that. So, you know, if you are participating by listening to exclusively the audio show, it's, it's really cool for us to hear from you guys as well, because we do value your, your opinions and, um, you're an incredibly valuable part of this community. So, um, if you haven't already, leave us a score in iTunes. We would love to, to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the community though, in our discord this week, we had the premiere of a new show. Of a new Discord show right now that I believe is turning into a podcast called the Kanja Book Club. Um, I never made a deal with Kanja Book Club, uh, but uh, this was hosted by a couple of our amazing staff members, Timothy and Adam. Uh, they talked about the book Ahsoka this week, which has been having its own little kind of renaissance lately with Clone Wars. But we set up some channels in our Discord for chapter by chapter recaps, and a lot of the audience was hanging out in there talking about the book. And then Timothy and Adam hosted an audio show all about that, and it was really cool. Uh, Corey, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the future of this possible show? Are we going to be releasing this as an audio podcast for people later on? Is it just in Discord? Yes, let's talk about that really quick. So Conjure Book Club is an idea that we dreamed up um, a while back because we had some success uh, for about you know a month or two there in Discord. Um, so we did sort of a, a, what do we call it, like a read-along party or read party or something like that. Yeah. And we, we picked a book. I think it was Lost Stars, actually. And yep. we, we kind of just had a Discord conversation. So Discord has been, an off, obviously, a, a really positive, fun part of our community. So we figured we could kind of take it to the next level in Discord by doing, like, an audio show inside of Discord. So just like we're doing a live show here in Twitch, Conjure Book Club is going to be a live show in Discord. So you can jump into the audio channels and kind of listen along with the host. I think they're going to pull people from Patreon, actually, to come and guest star on the show occasionally, which would be pretty cool. And if you're a patron, you can get the recording of that show. Even at the $5 tier Patreon, um, you can get the recording of that show. So they're going to pick one new book a month, go through They're going to divide the number of chapters by four and cover, you know, whatever number of chapters that is each week, whether that's five, ten chapters a week, discuss it, kind of like we do in a roundtable format, but spread over a month. So if you're looking to dive into some Star Wars books with a big group of people um, and literally like a book club, then Conjure Book Club is, is sort of the answer to that. So if you haven't already, go to utini.com slash Discord, jump in our Discord, and find that channel. And obviously, if you guys have any questions about that, you can hit us up in Discord as well. Absolutely. And if you want to get a head start, their book for August is going to be The Heralded, The Legendary, The Highly Rated on Utini, Revenge of the Sith novelization from Matthew Stover. So if you want to get a head start on that, go ahead, reread that. If you've read it before, you know you want to. If you never picked it up, now is the perfect time. And on this show coming up, uh, looking ahead to the future, next week we want to give you guys a heads up. Today is our first part of our Shadowfall Roundtable, which means next week is the second part of our Shadowfall Roundtable. So if you're listening on Thursday, Friday, you still got time to come in next Monday when we're going to finish up this roundtable. Patreon updates. Uh, Char- I'm looking at Charles's face. Dude, I'm going to bust through these. We're going to have so much time to talk <laughs> about this book. Uh, we got three new pa- – well, four new patrons this week. Uh, Dylan Irwin, uh, who I don't know if we mentioned last week, but I want to make sure we talk about you, Dylan. Thank you so much. Rebecca Raven, thank you. 
And sentimentally, uh, my mom and dad became patrons, guys. <laughs> um, the thing ever. It's That's so fantastic. great. I saw that come across <laughs> my email or whatever. You know, I get email updates from somebody becomes a patron, and it says something, something Irish in, and I'm just like, is this any relation? Yeah, there's <laughs> no Eric. way. <laughs> I also feel, I also feel kind of bad, uh, you know, Eric's mom and dad, because like Eric doesn't like directly get the money. <laughs> like technically, Utini gets the money, but you know, I have bought, I have bought Eric. We have, I have, you know, I am the all powerful. Yeah, the, right? Use the royal we when you talk about yourself. Yes, the royal <laughs> we, absolutely. I have made the decision to use Utini money to buy things for Eric, so it kind <laughs> of goes to Eric. <laughs> is no Eric way. paying for friends? Debatable. That's right. Are we happy right. he's here? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, Chris and Sally Eilerson are now part of our Alliance High Command, so their names will be read at the end of every show. So thanks, Mom and Dad. I love you guys. Uh, the support means a lot uh, from an artist who gets a lot of rejection in real life. Um, moving on from that, for our patrons, uh, our your podcast feed should be pretty freaking full lately. Uh, today, we released our second episode of Lightspeed Skipping, our absolutely insane off-the-walls random page, random book-reading podcast, which was a ton of fun. Legends Look Back released Wedge's Gamble last week, the second X-Wing book, which was great. This Thursday night, Charlie and I, uh, Charlie from Ghost Crew, my partner, we are going to be guesting on Legends Look Back to talk about Paradise Snare, one of the premier Legends books, so that'll be releasing probably next Monday. Speaking of Charlie, the Ghost Crew, where our Rebels show that she and I host together releases every Wednesday for our Inquisitorious levels. This Wednesday, we finished season one of Rebels. We've made it through the first season. Nice. So nice. be sure to tune into that. We're probably going to take about two or three weeks off between the season breaks. So if you haven't been an Inquisitor level yet, it's $10 or above. Now is the perfect time to honestly just jump on and binge everything we've made up till now. That's fine. We don't care. Um,. And finally, one last thing. In Discord, for the last couple weeks, we have been asking for your fan casts of Shadowfall in the Pick, Vote, Win channel. We want to see who you would cast as the Alphabet Squadron members. Today, if you're watching live, Monday night, this is the last day you can submit your choices. Throughout the next week, the Discord community will vote for their favorite fan casts, and the winners will receive some pretty sweet, exclusive Utini merch. So if you're watching now, head on over to Pick, Vote, Win, Put your fan cast for Shadowfall in there. And if you're listening later on, jump in there and vote later in the week. Corey, before we get into the final book release news and Shadowfall, can you tell us what's been going on at Utini with our articles, collections, and videos, please? Yes, absolutely. It's been a big week at Utini. We have a couple of new pieces of content out, the first of which is the Ultimate Guide to Canon. been working on this for a long time. Uh, Meg on our team wrote this. It came out uh, today, actually, on the 20th. And uh, if you've never read anything canon or you're interested in getting into canon or you have friends that have been like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into that whole Star Wars book thing, this is a really great guide to share because – uh, these ultimate guides that we build for the site, they're meant to be sort of all-inclusive information, right? So if you've never read a Star Wars book, period, kind of all the necessary knowledge you need is all kind of condensed into these guides, right? So there's a brief discussion of canon versus legends. There's a brief discussion of, like, what kind of content there is in Star Wars. And then basically how to dive into canon for the first time. So check that out, Ultimate Guide to Canon. Um, tomorrow, we are releasing the Dr. Afro review. Uh, we have a full review team that exclusively does uh, the reviews at Utini, and that full review is coming out tomorrow. I think we rated it pretty high, too, so I'm, I'm excited to see that. Um, 
We also have a new collection that came out this week or is coming out this week, uh, the Dr. Afra collection, which kind of goes through some of the, the comics and books that are surrounding Dr. Afra, which I'm proud to say we can now say books about Dr. Afra yes! because we have the audio drama. That's kind of a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, and then, like we already said, we had a couple of good videos come out this week, both Canon versus Legends, which features Emma, uh, the Shadowfall review, which features Jake on our team, two of our uh, sort of lead video hosts. And next week, hopefully, if we can get them all edited in time, we have the Ultimate Guide to Comics. It's going to be a video coming out on YouTube by Jake. Uh, the Dr. Afro review should be coming out later this week. And then lastly, uh, Emma has put together a Queen's Peril review video as well. So next week is uh, going to be, or this week, really. Yeah, if we this can get coming edited. week. This coming week, yep. Right now, so if you're listening to the audio podcast, things should probably already be released. Uh, but we have a bunch of stuff coming to YouTube. Um, so check that out. Absolutely. Uh, likes and lovely comments are appreciated. And real quick, I want to say a thank you to everyone that has watched the YouTube videos in a while. The comments have been great. They've been supportive. They've been positive, respectful. Again, everything I'd expect from this community. But YouTube can be kind of, I don't know, a little mean. Awful. Yeah, awful <laughs> and terrible and on fire. But uh, everyone's been That's really right. cool, so we super appreciate that, uh, as do the hosts. Looking ahead, final couple things. We have books coming out, y'all. Oh my gosh, July, August, September are crammed with Star Wars content, and there are pre-orders for all of it over at Utini. So, you can order, as of right now, the Dr. Afro audio drama, even though you're probably going to get that through utini.com slash audible, where you get your free trial and a free audiobook, which that would be a great way to use that. Next week on the 28th, we have Star Wars Dark Legends by George Mann, which will also feature a written and video review released on the day of. Poe Dameron Freefall. Releases on August 4th by Alex Segura. We also currently have an excerpt article on the site from Meg talking about an excerpt that got released over at StarWars.com. The Clone Wars Stories of Dark and Light releases on August 25th. Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising is September 1st. And, even though it's a little far away, you can pre-order from a certain point of view Empire Strikes Back, which releases on November 10th. But all these books are on our new release list. All these books have affiliates you can order through Utini. Help us out a little bit. Ooh, it's going to be a crazy end of the year. Remember when we were like, the higher public is delayed. What are we going to read? <laughs> what fools we always we were. do that. We always do that. See, the thing, we need to like backwards track on a calendar all the Star Wars content that comes out just so we can prove to ourselves how often it actually happens because we never don't have something to talk about on the show. Like, there's always big news. It's crazy. It's such a good time to be a Star Wars fan and of the expanded universe. We got no movies coming out. It's it's absolutely wild. We're going to have more Mandalorian. We're going to have all kinds of things this fall. But for right now, head over to that new release timeline. Pre-order your books. Keep up with the conversation. At this point, we would usually talk about book reviews. Unfortunately, this is a roundtable episode, so we will skip those. However, we have a ton of book reviews coming in, which helps our our new visitors and constant visitors that go to book profiles because they get to see your star ratings. It gets to help them decide what to read next. So keep those star ratings coming. We'll get back to book reviews as soon as we can. Charles, I've made you wait 15, 20 minutes. Are you ready to get us into part one of our Shadowfall Roundtable? Let's do it, guys. I'm not going to waste any time. I told Eric we're going to do this with an A-wing pace, not a Y-wing pace. So (laughs) um, let's do our plot synopsis. So even after the calamity of the Battle of Pandem Nye, the Galactic War rages on and Eric Aquell and Alphabet Squadron find no respite. Shadow Wing, premier fighter squadron of the Imperial Remnant, is gathering strength under the new leadership of Soren Keys, Quell's old mentor. In the Cerberon system, Karen Aiden and his team of New Republic intelligence officers devise a plan to lure Shadow Wing out of hiding. 
However, upon Shadowing's arrival, things quickly unravel, leaving Alphabet Squadron shattered. Split up, wounded, and without a plan, Quell, Chas, Will, Nath, and Kairos must find a way to fight both the war and their own internal demons. The fate of Cerberon, the New Republic, and the entire galaxy depend on it. All right, guys, rate the book 1 to 10. Don't tell me why. We'll come back around at the end of the show. Oh, yes. Okay, I can go first this time. Actually, I'm ready for once. Hey! <laughs> right. I'm never ready. I always have to think about it, so I actually just put some thought and research into this because I have opinions about this book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to give Alphabet Squadron Shadowfall a 7.5. Okay. All right. Uh, Eric? Um, I am going to tell you my review in a second. I want to say hi to Cheryl, who just jumped into the chat. Who, hey, Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl, luckily, we had half hour of technical problems, so you are right in time for the talk. All right, my review, I'm going to give this an 8.7. Ooh, hi. I'm trying to be more responsible with my, my review scores, uh, so don't, <laughs> don't hold that as a candle to my past ones. I'm trying to be better. Okay, and Wes, what do you think, buddy? Okay. I'm going to give it – see, the thing is with, with any Star Wars book, <laughs> I'm so grateful that I finished it, it automatically gets a high mark. But um, I'm going to say 7.7. 7. Okay. okay. I like it. And Charles, I actually put a lot of thought into this as well, and I'm giving it an 8.5. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So um, we, we don't usually do this actually on the show, but um, because I have the page pulled up in front of us, this is kind of an interesting point, a time to point out, like our official review by our review team at Utini, we don't ever talk about this for some reason, is an 8.7, mm-hmm. right? Whoa! So, I did not yeah. plan that. Legit did not it's plan It's higher. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot did, higher than I actually thought it was going to be. I did be. write that review, but that doesn't affect that my, doesn't affect my, my score, rating right? is... Yeah. Uh, Eric, yeah. A lot yeah. of people write, or a lot of people's opinions go into the score at UT, like ten people basically. Yeah. So like, like we put a lot of thought and effort into the actual scores. So eight point seven is pretty high. That's the very good category. dot com. It's very yeah, that's high. That's an it's uh, an eighty one for plot, a ninety three for characters, eighty eight for originality, eighty six for writing, and eighty eight for entertainment. So high eighties on everything, and yeah. characters is high as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm right, guys. The math is saying that I'm right. So. <laughs> Alphabet Squadron. Alphabet Squadron was an eight. Was an eight point one, by the way. Okay. Oh, so cool. this this actually fared better with our review team, uh, and I I can get behind that actually. So let's let's start talking about uh, some of those characters that we spent so much time getting to know in Alphabet Squadron and got to pick right up within Shadowfall. So let's start with uh, Erica Quell, and you know just so you guys know, essentially. This entire book was like a dense tome of character development. So this is really going to be the meat yes. of this discussion. Um, and, you know, each Alphabet Squadron member kind of had their own skeleton in their closet or their own issue that they had to deal with in this book that was really removed from the war. Uh, and I kind of referred to that in my own thought process as their, as their like inner demon. So we're going to talk about Erica Quell and uh, what her demon is. Uh, but let's talk about kind of her past for a quick minute because a lot has happened with Erica Quell and we need to catch up really fast to make sure we're all on the same page. Sure. All right, so basically, as a kid, wanted to join the rebellion because her friend told her it would be an awesome thing to do. 
Uh, so she actually ends up going to the Imperial Academy, thinking she's going to leave. Never does. Becomes part of Shadow Wing. After doing some terrible things for them, is told by her mentor, Soren Keys, to leave. Uh, and so she does and defects to the uh, Rebellion. Uh, and that's kind of where we met her for the beginning of this trilogy. Uh, and that kind of catches us up to the events here with Shadowfall once she is a commander of Alphabet Squadron. So the issue with that is that she has a secret that she had to be told to leave Shadowfall. Um, everyone in the Rebellion thinks that she left of her own accord and tried to stop Operation Cinder and all these things, but none of that is actually true. So let's talk about that. Page 28, we get the quote, Keys had ordered her to leave and she had. She'd lacked the spine to argue. She'd lied to the New Republic about the circumstances of her defection, lied to her comrades about attempting to thwart the genocide on Necronis, lied to her superiors and lied to herself. She'd found that as long as she clung to the fiction of Erika Quell, the righteous woman who'd been pushed too far and tried and failed to stop Operation Cinder, she could hunt down her friends with barely a twinge of remorse. So, Ooh. yeah, there's a it's lot of good writing. I mean, just, just like objectively speaking, like, God it's, damn. It is. There's a lot of <laughs> it. it. There's a lot of it in this book. And, you know, time and again, we see Quell kind of exhibit a lack of conscience for her own actions. We saw that for terrible things she did when she was part of Shadowing. Um, and we see it still in this book. She, she basically says that she doesn't care, that she's hunting down and killing her old squad mates. Do you all find that noble because they're Shadowing? Or do you think that she's sick? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, man. I mean, like, Erica is the best and the worst character ever like ooh okay yeah i mean she's obviously supposed to be like the protagonist of the series in a lot of ways right and like we started off with the book with her we end the book with her uh we started off alphabet squadron with her we ended with her like she's the main character right she's the leader of alphabet squadron and she's got a lot of demons and ptsd and i don't know man like does she have a lack of heart I kind of think so, yeah. personally. Like, I kind of think she's a little ruthless and heartless and not that great of a person, personally. Ooh, Eric? Yeah, I, I, I think I want to talk about the, the protagonist bit a little for a second because I, I do think that she works better as a sole protagonist in Shadowfall than she did in Alphabet Squadron. Um, I, I think we got more of her story in that way. Um, also, for our video people, Morden just made an appearance behind me. You're welcome. <laughs> He's shaven. <laughs> he is a shaven, naked boy. Um, but I, I, I think that she is is really kind of a victim of so much trauma that it's hard to objectively judge her in a way. Like the the whole fact that she is um, that she was okay with well, quote unquote, okay, right with with Operation Cinder is such an interesting character trait because Karen Aiden thinks he has her, right? When he figures that out, he's like, oh, you're a psycho. Um, and then once we figure out, oh, maybe she's actually not as okay with everything else, she can't really confide in anyone but ITO. So I think she is a person that doesn't know what her own sense of morality is. She also has no idea who she can actually trust. And she doesn't know, I think at the end of the day, what she believes in, if anything at all. She's just trying to survive to the next day and to the end of the war. So it's like, yeah. how in the world can she keep that straight, much less fly in a straight line? So I think that, that, that makes her so complex. Look at that next to Wedge. 
you know, when we look at like major commanders yeah. of these squadrons, like sure, look at yeah. the different, like this is a broken human being who, yeah. who we just all agreed, like doesn't even know what she stands for. And she's commanding yeah. an entire unit for the new Republic. Yeah. If you stand for nothing, Quell, what will you fall for? All right, Hamilton. Hamilton. That's a Hamilton okay. reference. <laughs> I was going to make the reference. I didn't know if we were going to go there or not. Oh, yeah, we're going to go there. Totally, she is totally Aaron Burr. All right, if you haven't already, you got to jump on the Hamilton bandwagon. I finally did last week, and I cried like a little baby, and it's an absolute masterpiece. Wow. So, you know, That's yeah, incredible. Finally on board. Utini says, Erica Quell is Aaron Burr. She we is. We she, said it. she had, and I find, I find characters that lack a moral compass that – that lack a side, I find those characters incredibly frustrating. It's like, like Eric, you, you talk about, like, you really dislike characters who are incompetent, right? Yeah. That's one of your biggest pet peeves. You talk about that frequently, right? Like, that's one of the big reasons that we had, a lot of us had trouble kind of getting into the Resistance as a kid's show because, like, the main character is so goofy and he trips over stuff. And it's, like, frustrating to some degree um, as, as, a, as a protagonist to grow a story. And I certainly feel that way about, about Erica. She's just flaky and she's so obsessed with what everybody thinks about her that she can't be honest she can't display Mm. integrity she can't make the right decisions she can't open up to her therapist even if it is a torture droid right like she's just very man her walls are huge around her like she just cannot let down her walls even with her squadron and she tries but she sucks at it so bad yeah she's and and i think it'd be interesting um i'm 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 sure like charles has a 12 page of notes we're on the first question um but i think that we'll talk later about how her how her relationship rather with ito especially evolves in this book and how you know if she had been given of a longer time to maybe try to bond with the squadron without certain things coming to light. How would that have been different? Would she have escaped this kind of mental prison of her own making? I think that's a fascinating kind of thought process. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me about Quell is where she draws the line, you know, what she decides is okay. And what she decides isn't. And, on page 130, we saw her do something that I found particularly shocking. It's when Karen Aiden was uh, captured by the stormtroopers and, and Quell and Nath go to save him, to rescue him. And mm-hmm. Quell basically shows how desperate she is to protect her secret. She knows that Aiden knows the truth about her leaving, uh, leaving Shadow Wing, and she wants to protect that. So when she goes in to save him, there's a bunch of like, emaciated stormtroopers they've been there like barely surviving some of them are sick and injured and like sleeping in their bunks and she slaughters them all there were no women (laughs) and no children but she slaughtered them all and she did not care um but then interestingly enough nath presents quell with the option of what if they kill aiden and and tell everyone that he was already dead and she's like nope can't do that that's awful <laughs> how could you do how could you bring that up where does she draw the line though and is there anything that she wouldn't do to protect herself yeah so i, I was actually going to bring this up a minute ago charles because like you keep sort of Im- implying i think that she's like a survivor and that's her thing is that she's a survivor i don't really yeah. think it's that actually in fact Ooh. i can kind of respect the whole like like, I will do anything to survive. It's very imperial, if you will. It's very Captain Phasma, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do anything to survive. And I don't find her like that at all, actually. I find her very 
cowardly. Like it's not a survival thing. It's more like an I'm not sure ego is the right word or pride is the right word or fear of people thinking negatively of her, I suppose. Like I don't know if you can put it any better than that, Eric, but like it doesn't strike me as she's trying to get out of the situation. She's really just trying to prevent people from finding stuff out that's probably inevitable that they find out anyway. Yeah, for for me, I think I, I find her to be a character that is constantly trying to do the right thing despite her instincts being trained for so many years to do the opposite. That she has been essentially programmed by the Empire, right? Like, the the Academy, she, she went through the whole thing, and she became an Imperial pilot, and she went through the whole war as an Imperial pilot, and here we go. Um, and now she is constantly trying to fight against that programming, but she's not always able to do it. I think at the end of Shadowfall at Pandem Nye, her, her, like, you know, her attempt to save as many people as possible shows she's like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Ugh, I'm trying. And there's that frustration element to it, which is why I think when we see things like this, you know, she can tell herself, I'm killing these Imperials. And it's the right thing because it's for the Rebellion or the New Republic at this point. But that Imperial programming still kicks in, and that's why she can be so vicious about it. I mean, Freed never never kind of steps back from the fact that soldiers are soldiers. That these are people that have been taught to kill, and they have been told there is a moral imperative to kill this side, and that's okay. Which I think will mess up anyone's head, frankly. But I think that throughout this book, Quell is constantly trying to do the right thing. She's doing what she thinks is right, but no one is really helping her do it. I think, honestly, I'd be interested to see if she had a confidant that was a human, like, on her squad that is, like, like, that's why I think her, her, it's okay, buddy, it's okay. Um, That's why I think her and Nath are are so fascinating as a pair, because Nath could be that confidant. I think he is so close to being that person to be like, hey, man, you want to kill some imps? I'm cool with it. I ain't going to judge you. And if that relationship had been able to flesh out through an entire book, what Erica Quell did we get at the end? You know? Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a, it is a good point. And the interesting thing I think about what you were just saying is, is that she's trying to make the right decisions. And there are moments for Quell where she very definitively makes a decision like, hey, I'm going to murder everyone that's in here. Uh, guarding Aiden. And then there are moments where it seems like she can't decide which foot to step forward with. And her history kind of supports that side of her, the the sort of indecisive side. On page 316, Quell's talking to ITO about her past, and she says a lot of the things that we knew about her. Um, But she says she saw the face of Net or Nettie, Uh, recognized the crooked jawline of the girl who'd introduced her to the Rebel Alliance and whom she'd promised everything, everything to. She joined the Academy for Nettie. She'd just never gotten around to leaving. She couldn't count how many times she'd chosen to stay with the Empire, chosen not to walk away when she'd had the chance. The droids humming rose an octave and oscillated weirdly. Why do you believe you made that same decision time and time again? Because, she said, and swallowed the next words, because. Because what, the droid repeated. Later on, she does answer that question, and she straight up says, because I'm a coward. Ooh. Is that what it really comes down to? Is Quell just too cowardly to stand up for what's right, or, or at least to think for herself and make her own decisions? Like, Why does she deserve to be the commander of Alphabet Squadron? What qualifies her if she's so cowardly that she can't even make these massive decisions about right and wrong on her own? 
I think that the word cowardly, in a weird way, especially in this context, kind of oversimplifies the scenario, right? Because, to me, her her qualifications to lead Alphabet Squadron come from the fact that she has been on both sides of a conflict, she has seen everything that's gone on, and she has still found a way to complete her mission no matter what. She is like, I will stay loyal to the people that I am with, and I think this is right, and... I will lead no matter what I have to do. And I think that even until the last moment where she finally gets expelled from Alphabet Squadron, at least for a while, she is still trying to make that decision, trying to lead until she's not allowed to anymore. And I think ultimately that her bravery comes in every day is so insane in her life. The ability to get through it with some shred of moral dignity and some shred of loyalty from her subordinates shows that she is brave. I think her calling herself cowardly, honestly, is a way for her to just to get people to stop asking questions. She's like, fine, if you want me to be a coward, I'll be the coward you want me to be. If you want me to be a leader, cool, I'll be the leader you want me to be. Just stop, like, get off my back because I need a second to breathe. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I mean, cowardly is maybe not the right right word, but she certainly is not able to make decisions, I think, about what kind of person she wants to be or, you know, who she even wants to fight for. Like, it makes me almost just be like, she's just retire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not if do the military. If she remorse and just, like, hung out, I think she'd be so happy. <laughs> I think she would have been yeah. like, go on, done, man. I know. I, I totally with you. Yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing about Alphabet Squadron as a whole as you know, each one of them is broken in a different way, which are interesting protagonists to read as a, you know, just a consumer of fiction as a whole. But Quell specifically is like, man, I think she's got it the hardest. I think that a lot of them lost people, but they all still kind of understand who they are. Chas obviously goes through a more personal journey here um, throughout this book than the others, but they all kind of get where they fit. And Quell is so nebulous that if she could just find solid ground, I think she'd be cool. She'd be Erica cool. You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby! Get out. <laughs> so, you know, ITO is, uh, in a lot of ways, the sounding board or, like, the echo chamber for Quell. He's her therapist. He serves her to try to come to realizations about herself, her own personality, her own past. And he makes a comment about her that I thought was really odd, uh, just taking it face value. He says to her in this whole same group of conversations, you are very good at resisting despite yourself. And the reason I find that so peculiar is Quell's actions seem to show that she doesn't really resist, but rather gets kind of pulled along to the whim of the powers that be. So what do you think he he was exactly saying here? Do you agree with what he was saying? I I think it goes back to her her kind of dedication to following the orders she's given. I think she is still a soldier at the end of the day. Her own moral imperative, I think, is still forming inside of her. I think she's still figuring out, you know... The end of Elephant Squadron shows that she is actually willing to value her own pilots over herself. And throughout this book, I think she is consciously on that same track, and then it gets halted. So I think her moral imperative, if it were fully formed and it had been built throughout the years of rebellion, maybe she's able to do a lot more stuff. But at this point, 
I think it cracks before it's fully formed and therefore kind of disintegrates prematurely. Okay. Well, like an egg. Like an egg. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I had to add that visual. I didn't think you could understand it. For, uh, what is that? That Master and Apprentice prophecy? Wasn't there something like the future cracks like an egg? Remember that last year? Claudia Gray wrote that? <laughs> there was I some weird, trippy stuff in yeah. those. At our first ever roundtable, we talked about that that future cracks like an egg thing for like an that hour. That was also a prophecy from like the Poe comics. You might be yes. thinking about that too. Um, but yeah, so the giant egg. Page 333, nothing to do <laughs> with an egg. Uh, Quell has a final conversation with Karen Aiden. And we'll kind of come back to that for his own character, but... Quell basically asks Aiden, you know, how do you stand it knowing what you did? And he responds, I manage Erica Quell. And the message, however insensitive it may seem at face value, uh, because it basically <laughs> is get your crap together. Um, right. Is that, you know, we all have to forgive ourselves of our old wrongdoings and move on. Uh, so let's inspect what Quell does with that message from Aiden uh, with her experience with the temple, guys. The temple. Yeah. Oh, because my God. Her, this temple, dude. Right? In in her conversation with Aiden is how she manages to open the temple. Uh, she has to basically re-experience all of her most significant past wrongdoings, all of the associated emotions, and then she has to manage. She has to literally stand up and move forward from those experiences, which is a beautiful thing that it was so figurative and literal. Let's stay away from conjecturing about the temple for just right sure. now, because we're going to come to that later. But tell me what you thought about Quell's experience with it. it. Like, the idea of having to suffer through every trauma you've had and then be like, cool, is that enough? And hearing, no, do it again. No, do it again. No, do it again. Like, it, it, it's, I mean, for me, it's just like 10th grade on repeat, but... For Quell, obviously, a little bit harder. Um, I I think it was a great storytelling device, but also just for her, I think this is where any shred of her being cowardly or weak immediately melts away. Because the strength it takes to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go again. Because if I figure this out, I get to save the life of a person who basically tried to out me and destroy my entire existence. Um kind of i think defines her in this book and just that ability it's the rocky mentality right it's getting beaten down onto the mat and standing up with a busted lip and getting beaten down again and now you got a black eye beaten down again now you're bleeding like and she just kept going and going and going and going Whew! it was it was a hard one to read but but there's a reason that these chapters are being talked about i think in the star wars book circles more than any other specific chapters in quite a long time yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree with all that stuff about about her being not really cowardly. I mean, but it took forever for her to come past this. And that's the thing about her is, like, it takes a lot of energy and effort to make the right decision and to move past her fears and problems and trauma and PTSD and everything else. It just takes her a whole lot to, to get past that. Um, and I find it challenging i think as for her as a character because we just don't see her like consistently make good decisions so i don't know i I certainly found that that entire description very heavy and just kept coming back to like this weird vision where she just keeps reliving her trauma and all this kind of thing but like 
I think it's certainly a moment of personal growth for her. Yeah, but, and, you know, and I want to add even one then more. at the end, like we're, we're kind of come back to this, but like she still makes bad decisions at the end. So yeah. I do want to say <laughs> one more one more thing based on that, uh, Corey. One last note on 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 that part because I know Charles, you said we'll get to that, um, the the mythology of it, if you will, in a while. Yeah. But the writing the writing style of Freed we've talked about being so technical in the past, and it's all about the details and stuff. And I thought this was an interesting part because the more I read into Quell's trauma, and the more he kind of detailed and detailed it. I felt it became more general and more just like a vibe you were in as opposed to needing to know every detail of every story. He was just writing the mood of Quell's mind, which I thought was a really interesting writing device uh, as opposed to like the technical specs of something. He's like, this is how it feels to be in her mind right now. And it is chaotic and it is vast and it hurts. And I think that those that to be able to write something that viscerally, while also being able to keep some technical stuff elsewhere in the book showed kind of his writer evolution in book to book. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I think one of the biggest questions I had coming out of the scene of her reliving all of her past worst decisions is why one of the things she relived uh, wasn't getting that alphabet squadron tattoo uh, in the first book. (laughs) Because that's up there. That's up there in terms of bad decisions. And wait, just you know, because I have to wait, just because I have to wait until Celebration Twenty Two to get my Alpha Squadron tattoo doesn't mean that Quell <laughs> regrets hers. Doesn't she? All right, I'm, I think I missed this detail a little bit, but doesn't she like? Does she damage it? That's or what we're about off? to get to. Yeah, so okay, it okay, was okay. destroyed, like in her in her plight to leave that weird planetoid that she was on. So she didn't do it intentionally, but it did get destroyed. Uh, and it was kind of great foreshadowing for what was going to come next. But we're going to hold off on really discussing those final, final moments for Quell. I want to ask you guys to kind of round this part of her character study out. You know, it's no secret none of us were really super fond of her at the end of Alphabet Squadron. So did this book make you like her more or less? Because I think you could go either way. Certainly less. <laughs> Absolutely less for me. I'm not a big fan of her as a character. And I think that's one of the reasons that I rate the book so low, actually, is because I consider her the protagonist of the series. And um, she's a frustrating character for me. And it's hard for me to keep keep going reading about reading about Quell. And uh, I don't know, man. I just I have to see. I'm really excited to see how this trilogy like really rounds out because I'm sure we're going to see something crazy happen with her character development. I have no idea what side she's on right now. Um, I'm going to real quick, take a quick side note to say Cheryl just said in the chat that all our hair looks good. And thank you. I think so as well, guys. I think we really put in the effort today. <laughs> um, I, I, I recently got AirPods, so I don't have to wear over the he- head headphones anymore so I can make my hair look nice. Also on the actual the book side, <laughs> <laughs> on the actual book side, I hilariously, I'm going to go a 180. I like Quell more because of this book. I found her character more interesting I agree. I don't know. I don't know where she lands at the end of this book, which I think is cool. But all of her personal journey with Aiden and ITO made me just really excited for her parts. Whereas I think in Alphabet Squadron, I was always more excited to read about Will or Chas or Kyra or the other characters. Whenever we got a chapter about Erica in Shadowfall, I, I got just as excited. So I think that spoke to her evolution in my eyes. Yeah. I think 
I feel about Quell at the end of this book, the way that Lando felt about the deal he was getting from Beckett in Solo. I don't like her. I don't agree with her, but I accept her. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. That's that's where I'm going to leave her. So let's move on to, I think, arguably the, the next member of Alphabet Squadron who got the most character development in this book, and that is Chasna Chaddock. Yeah, and dude. Chas's quote-unquote demon in this story is basically, I think, her inability to see value in her own life. And that was something that was presented, at least, in the first novel as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's look at some quotes from this, this story. Page 201, um, we see that she says, She'd put Will and Nath away the same way she had Fadim and Yaprexi and Quaysail the dead of Hound Squadron, whom she rarely thought of anymore, or even Batriok and Snivel of the Cavern Angels. It would be the same with Alphabet Squadron. So she talks about putting away Will and Nath like they're a pair of socks. Um, <laughs> where does, where does like inherent lack of emotional response to life and death come from? Ooh. Mm, that's a good question. She's certainly got a checkered past mm-hmm. of being in cults and all kinds of crazy stuff yeah. so I, I i said last week when we were talking to uh, hanging out with alex that she was really one of my favorite characters of of the series and i think i still agree with that like um i find her it's funny i think it's funny that i find her so much less frustrating than i do your erica because like she makes equally terrible decisions all the time right. she's going into going into battle like really hung over and like without a without any gas in the tank and all that kind of stuff is just ridiculous but i don't know i find her more entertaining like i don't know where her lack of emotional response comes from because she hasn't like specifically referenced a ton of really horribly traumatic events in her life has she well and and i think i'm gonna take i'm gonna take that question though and and kind of go to the very nature of the question because i think actually Chas has a pretty deep respect for life and death, and she is constantly trying to pretend as though she does not. Because I think she has constantly been surrounded by people who die, and I think every time that's happened, it chips away at her, and it chips away at her, and she tries to rebuild that wall. She tries to mend those breaks. And I I think each time she's a little less successful, which is why when she goes to see the cult in this book, which is just a wild turn for her journey to take, She's not quite as, you know, ambivalent as she wants to be. I think she wants to just be like, oh, it's all stupid. Oh, these people are idiots. I'm going to take them for a score. But she can't quite let her mind stop the idea of, but what if they are a little right? Which is a cool way that she ends this book. But at the end of the day, I think that Chas has witnessed more of life than maybe anyone else in Alphabet Squadron. Like, raised basically in a cult. Um, joining the military, she's always going to like bars and meeting people and doing all this crazy stuff. I think she's lived more life. So by that token, she's probably more afraid to lose that life because she knows what the vast, you know, variety that the galaxy can present. So by that token, I think she would love for people to think that she doesn't care, but I think she might actually care the most. Okay. Well, I, I like that take on it. And, Let's just put some details to exactly what you guys are referencing for anyone who's listening, just to remind you. We basically learned that when Chas was spending part of her childhood with her mom on uh, Narshada, 
that her mom became a member of a cult called the Inheritors of the Crystal. And they actually worshipped like a, a, I think they said it was like a counterfeit kyber crystal. Um, And so Chas then actually became a member of the cult, became uh, a true believer in her own words. But then she ultimately chose to leave that lifestyle behind her. Now in Shadowfall, obviously she ends up quote unquote joining uh, a new cult. And that was the Children of the Empty Sun. How do you two think that her history of losing her faith and her community affected her view of both the Children of the Empty Sun and, by extension, Alphabet Squadron? Basically, her communities. Ooh, Hmm. that's a good question. I certainly found this to be a bizarre turn of events, personally. It was. (laughs) Yeah, that she ended up joining this, particularly after she had complained so much about, like, the cult thing and just the previous chapters um i don't know it's like uh, let me ask you guys this do you think that she joined this for real like like seeking nah. a sense of community because no. like nah. she i think it initially it didn't really go into this very much when the chapters first started when she joined the cult but like she referenced later on that she joined the joined it to rescue what she suspected was a like a new republic yeah uh, person yeah she but thought did that, she know about that she thought she the other pilot she so when she was first captured and was in that weird sail barge with the ball yeah, dude yeah, uh-huh. um she was like might other people like be back at your compound and he was like yeah probably like we picked up some stragglers and she thought oh, yeah. to herself so maybe they're new republic people and we can break out together turns out it was a shadowfall pilot it was cedia right mm-hmm. right and i think that the idea that she goes in being like i'm gonna take these suckers for everything they're worth um, and steal a ship and weapons, and that's how I'll escape. And I think that, I mean, she does end up doing that. I mean, that is, she does get out. But I do think it's interesting that she she can't escape the, the little conversations that she hears. I mean, she does see people that are having a good time, and she does see people that are taking this life legitimately. And well, I don't think she ever gets to that point herself. I don't think she ever really thinks, hey, I could stay here forever. I think that... In the third book, we're going to see her have some memories of like, man, I I could just be doing that. You know, I could just be breathing and sitting and not flying in these rust buckets and not getting shot at every day. And I think that that's that might be an interesting thing that nags at her. I mean, she's on the cover of this book for a reason. So I think that the fact that she goes through maybe the biggest personal journey of any of all of them is is maybe that's the point. But yeah, I don't think she ever thinks that she's going to be in there forever, but I can't deny that it makes an impact on her going forward. Yeah, it's also an interesting turn of events we sort of see with her involvement in this cult. Is that she meets the leader, and the leader is very much kind of Jedi-like in a lot sure, of ways. Sure, yeah. Like, I mean, she's she has like values and is doesn't really seem like she's in it for the power or money or whatever, and like is really forthcoming about. Um, why they have weapons and things like that. So I don't know. I found uh, I found it really interesting. It seemed like she's certainly considering kind of sticking around for this organization, right? I mean, she kept the uh, or like the little recording tape things that were under the her sermons. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. sermons. Well, because they destroyed her music. <laughs> yeah, that I know. Was, so which sad. was kind of a weirdly yeah, that was a weirdly sad moment for me. I'm like, oh man, that's like that's her identity. And they replaced, like, it's kind of like you go in and you see that someone took out all your Blink-182 and Green Day CDs and they just put in contemporary Christian pop. And you're like, 
I mean, I get what you were trying to do, <laughs> but I love American Idiot. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a actually a good a good time. This is kind of a tangent, but like we actually took a lot of pretty wild turns in the second book of this trilogy, right? Like I know yeah. we're going to talk about a lot of this later, Charles, but like we lost Aiden, we lost ITO, we lost. Chas's like signature personality thing. She listens to the music. She's in her B wing still, right? Is it her B wing still? She did I do. Get her I B-wing believe back. so. Yeah. yeah. I think so. It was sort of yeah. implied that it was her B wing. So I mean, like, and now you're Erica. I keep wanting to say Erica. Do you guys say Erica by the way or Erica? No, Erica. Erica. You say Erica. I keep. Yeah. Say, I want to say Erica so bad, but anyway, um, a lot of change for the second book in the series. There yeah. is. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's what the second chapter of like a trilogy really in modern storytelling does, right? Is it, it takes all the characters that we met in the first part and it knocks them down to their lowest point before they build them back up for that third and final part. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, hey, look, I mean, look at Empire. Luke yeah. loses childlike innocence and a hand. Last Jedi, Ray literally loses Luke as a mentor. <laughs> loses Not and, in that order. And, then, and I mean, and attack, attack of the clones. Anakin loses the ability to do any dialogue like a human being. So everyone loses <laughs> something in the middle chapter. I, I, I watched Attack of the Clones last night to fall asleep. By the way, and like I got hung up on the uh, I got hung up on the scene where he tells Padme that he murdered all the Sand people. Like. I was just thinking last night. I almost texted you guys. It was like two in the morning. I was in, in, in I'd be up like for I you. Am. And like I was texted you guys. And be like, why did we never circle back around to this in all of canon? Like Padme never asked him about this. Like wasn't this like a huge red flag? Like Jesus yeah. Christ! I mean, he's like, he, I killed the not just the men. But the women and the children, too. You know, like, it's kind of funny whenever whenever Obi-Wan tells her that he, like, killed everyone at the temple, including the younglings, she's like, no, he would never, well, like, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't have yeah. that moment. Like, he did do this once before. I, I wish there was an alternate take where he's like, I saw Anakin killing younglings, and she goes like, oh, no. <laughs> It's like oh. I didn't. Just, oh, who, was, no. who was recording him on Tatooine? And then Obi Wan's like, Tatooine. What are you talking about? Well, and that, and that, I mean, honestly, we could take that even back to this book when they're like, Erica Quell, uh, she lost and started killing other pilots, and they're like, No, she what? No. I, this, 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 that's what I said. Like, why was her entire squadron so flipping shocked by her past? Like, she was a member of the two hundred fourth. Like. What do you think that she was just all sunshine and rainbows the whole time she was there? Like, why did they turn on her so hard? Like, of course she's done some screwed up crap. What yeah. imperial has not? Yeah, it's a fair. I don't know. It's a fair point. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, all Chass. these people are <laughs> all these people are sick. Chas included. <laughs> but Except getting back Will, to Chas and he's apparently perfect. The yeah. pure boy, protect him. But getting back to Chas and the Colt. And, you know, we were kind of talking about, is she really in this thing or is she not? I don't think that she was. Like, I agree, Eric, I think you were saying that as well. But I think there was one moment when she was closer than any other. And that was on page 336 when she does the weird, uh, I don't know, group sharing, I guess is what you would call it, right? (laughs) She reveals this recurring dream that she's had to all the other members of the cult. And in the dream, essentially what she relates is that she survives the war, uh, is living on Coruscant, but she just can't get accustomed to post-war life. Like, she doesn't function well in a time of peace. 
she can't find work she can't find happiness and ultimately it kind of implies that she ends her life in an alley it it has her like standing in an alley and and holding a blaster and like just contemplating her options essentially so why can't chas picture her life without war where do you think this dream comes from Corey? we might have to get caitlin in on this to do i don't know some therapy <laughs> some dream interpretation or something <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's any real science in that, so probably not. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like this this is a weird this is a weird scene. Like this is why I'm just like so weirded out by Chas's diving headlong with this cold. She just craps on it the whole time and then she's just like suddenly in because she shares a moment. It's like she's seeking that sense of community so bad. But she already has it with Alphabet Squadron, so I don't know why she's chasing it so well, hard. I think that's the interesting thing, is that one of the coolest scenes in the first Alphabet Squadron, at least for my money, was that time when they were all around the fire pit on that one planet, and they all like, kind of shared their stories, right? This is the story they told. This is the story they told. We kept getting that. And then we didn't have that so much with the Squadron in this book. Like They mm-hmm. seemed a little, a little more separated. And I think that maybe Chas was like, oh, this is another little bit of community. Maybe I could share this. And I think that Chas has found her purpose in war. She's like, I'm good at this. My personality is tailored to this. I fly all the time. If I die, I die. Like, she feels invincible. And I think the second that war is done, this story is telling her, well, then what's her identity then? Because she was a cult member for a while, and she didn't want that, so she left it behind. Now she's been a warrior. And once that's gone, what's left? Something brand new, something unknown. And I think that freaks her out. Yeah, you know, she seemed to find something, though. Something did change for her when she was there with the Children of the Empty Sun. Because when she left, she basically had a change of heart about a few things. And one major thing in particular that gets back to what I said that I consider her demon to be. um, On page 366, um, Chas basically says she felt an unfamiliar churn in her gut at the thought of dying. She had responsibilities now. And all throughout Alphabet Squadron, Chas really relished the idea of, of dying a meaningful death. She like idolized martyrs from the rebellion like Jin Erso. Mm-hmm. And finally, we see her realizing that she can accomplish something with her life as well as her death. How do you think she came to that realization? When did that moment happen and who helped to get her there? Ooh. Um, real quick, <laughs> I want to take a tangent. Speaking of a meaningful death, earlier when Morden was yelling because Amazon got here with my newest pop Funko, which oh, is man. to the camera uh, Han killing a Tauntaun. So that's another <laughs> meaningful death. <laughs> I thought they spilled bad on the outside. How does so. it smell, Eric? <laughs> Like nothing, Charles. But I did smell it. Um, no, I, I think that Chas, again, I, I think I go back to what I was saying earlier, that Chas's whole I don't care if I die or not is a little more of a front than she tries to let on. And I think that she honestly didn't need that much nudging to have this realization that her life has value. I think that maybe seeing this other um, shadow wing pilot did something because she's like, all, all I've been doing is trying to kill you and Nameless Face, and now you're as stuck as I am. So, okay, now that I see my enemy is just a person, maybe I'm also just a person, and now i got to escape and live on. You know, maybe, maybe that did it. 
You know, my wife would probably just be diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. <laughs> That's also cool. <laughs> I mean, she does exhibit a lot of the features. Actually, we sh- we should have asked. Uh, we should have asked Freed if he like used any like real diagnoses and like what. I mean, surely he had to do some research in like PTSD and stuff like that, like into oh, designing these characters. Yeah. I mean, because um, there's some really high level stuff in this, but like she does exhibit a lot of that, a lot of the qualities of that diagnosis, and that she like sort of threatens suicide a lot. Like she self sabotages all her relationships. Like I don't know, maybe she fits the personality disorder type a little bit <laughs> to get medical. Yeah, possible. <laughs> it it is possible, but. You know, by the end of the book, we find that Chas really is still thinking about this cult, regardless of whether she really thought she was a member or whether she really had any kind of intentions to, uh, I don't know, still be linked to them in any way. Um, page 385. Uh, Chas Nechadic, what are, what are your intentions with my cult? Oh. <laughs> uh, I just want to know going forward. Are you serious about my cult? Are you gonna just uh, is this a one time thing? Also, there's that there was the one like whole like really nice guy that was just really nice to her, like in stuff and like she was mean as hell to him. Yeah. That's her guy. What was it what was that guy's name? Gr- Mr. Nice Guy. Groiver. Griver. I don't Gri- yeah. Griver. Gulliver. Like Gulliver's travels. MacGyver. Grover. Something like that. Um, yeah, but, you know, page 385, Chas is still thinking about essentially Letige's final words to her. And just to remind you all, Letige was the leader of the cult. We haven't used her name yet. She was the weird, almost legendary character covered in mushrooms yeah. for no apparent reason. Um, so <laughs> she said to Chas, you will carry the seed inside you and it will grow. We will welcome you when you what return. What a normal thing to say. <laughs> like, sorry, I, I started laughing because I was like, did she plant <laughs> mushrooms like on her? Like, <laughs> that was my first thought as well. Is that she meant literally seeds. Yeah, like it's <laughs> literally like going to grow. Um, no, my thought was the seed inside her is the absorbing womb, right? Isn't that? Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> no, and we're back. This again? Back. Oh, no, but in all seriousness, y'all. So Letitia says, we will welcome you when you return. Will that happen? Will Chas return yes. to the cult? I think so, for yeah, sure. I, think I mean, so. they set it up too perfectly with the whole like cassette tapes under the seat thing. Like, she, she's going to pop those things in. She's going to listen to them. You know she is. Yeah. You're on a road trip. You have three CDs. Why not? That's right. All of her music is gone. She's got to have something to listen to, right? Okay. Right. All right. So you think she might become a member of. Uh, the children of the empty sun then oh no i don't think she'll yeah, remember she's, i think she'll go back though she's gonna grow the mushrooms and become the leader and she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna pistol whip that chick again <laughs> and then become the leader of the cult okay so we have answers kind of all over the board who knows <laughs> <laughs> who knows also by the way i 100 percent thought that she killed her i did scene. too Oh, oh my yeah. gosh! I had to go back and reread that like three times. Like, did she just shoot her in the head? Like, oh my god! Like, Apparently, the mushrooms took the worst of the blow, though, because she was up like two <laughs> minutes later and was like not even mad. Maybe like, wow. she should <laughs> get planted with those mushroom seeds. Who knows? It specifically said in the book that she brained her. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> what, a great, what a great word, man! She got brained. brained. Oh, oh man! Gosh. All right. Well. I don't know where else we could go with Chas from there. So <laughs> no, I think we nailed it. I think we did. I think we brained it. I think it. Chas nailed that that 
cult leader. What's her name? How do you Lati- pronounce I it? I say Latige. I don't know how you're supposed Because two J's, I, I right? I listened to the old to the to audio book. By the way, we should talk about the audio book a little bit. Did either one of you guys listen to the audio book? Yeah, I did, a, I did a first read just the book and then about half the audio book again. So this audio book was very unique. This is a small tangent, but I like to talk about this because I, I wanted to mention this to you guys. Like, I found this entire audio book very different than other Star Wars audiobooks, personally. One, we have a we have a new narrator. I don't know what other stuff she's done. She has done some other stuff. I yep. think it's is is it the it lady was Carol that voices? Mondo, uh, isn't it? Yep. Is it the lady that voices uh, Lean uh what's Kistana her face? Lean yeah. Dooku. Yes. And she's Lean also Kistana an Afra as uh I forget who as I forget who she is. She's Maz Kanata, yes. I think, right? Thank you. That's right. I don't know that has she narrated anything else? Oh, she's a narrated lot like, of stuff. Oh, in Star Wars? No. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that was my question uh, in yeah. Star Wars. So I saw some interesting criticisms of of her narration online a little bit. And actually I, I kind of buy into them just a hair. Is like she has such a deep voice, you have to crank the crap out of your volume in your car to hear it, which is very unique. I've never had to do that with a with a Star Wars audiobook before. Interesting. Um, yeah, but her narration is just very interesting and unique. Like it, it has it has sort of a dark overtone. I feel like, like where I know the book itself is pretty dark, but like to me, it just made the entire book darker, which I certainly found a unique experience. Um, and I was kind of personally back and forth. You guys said you, you read some of it in audiobook. I was kind of yeah. back and forth actually, like, cause I was trying to get through it quickly. Yeah. Um, so I would read some chapters and listen to some chapters and that sort of thing. So I was kind of back and forth. Um, also notice that the music is all unique. Like there's a little bit of star Wars yep. music, but there's a little bit of like straight up halo sounding music in there, <laughs> which Love is like, that. <laughs> yeah. During some of the fighter pilot scenes, it was like, all right, this is not star Wars music. This is like original music. That was super interesting. Um, yeah. And some of the sound effects were different and unique. I don't know. It was just a it was a different audiobook experience I think that I'm used to and uh not in a negative way by any means. Yeah, I thought it was it was a it was a really cool unique experience and I felt that this this audiobook specifically had a lot more atmospheric sound as well. Like there was rarely yeah. a point where it was just narration. I mean, the production editing on this must have been insane purely yeah, with the amount of ship of noises. Effects. Yeah, the the planetary atmosphere, especially with Erica and ITO on that planet, there's always something in the background, chatter. Like I, I am constantly in awe of Penguin, Penguin Random House Audio of their editors. Just I, I I don't know how long it takes them to do all this stuff, but it is not insignificant. No, it no. has to be a lot. Yeah, two two points on that, just really quickly. One, I love the original music. You know, I hope that we're getting closer and closer to them having like a full soundtrack just for a novel, just for an audio drama. Like, it would be Let's so hope, cool man. to do that again. It would be fun. And the other thing is, fun. this type of book for me in particular is not one I can listen to. Like, I have to read this because it's so dense and so technical, like we talked about. I space out too easily with the audiobooks. And, and I would just, it would be a whole chapter later, and I would just be like, wait, what? what just happened like i yeah there's too much there so i definitely found that to be the case and like the first couple chapters i actually listened to the first probably five chapters exclusively audiobook that's how i got started that's that's when i texted you guys and i was like i am struggling to get through this book like it's just so dense and um you know it was so funny when we interviewed freed we even talked about this last week with alex like he was like really i'm, I'm a technical writer i didn't notice that i'm like bro <laughs> you are so technical like if you if you're like if you zone out like charles i'm, I'm like you right? i kind of zone in and out when i'm reading too i think that's one of the problems like when i speed read is like i, I kind of zone in and out a lot too is like 
if you stop paying attention for 10 seconds, like the plot can just suddenly change. And it's just suddenly you're on a new planet, new characters. And it's just like, man, this is moving so quick. My wife actually pointed out that it's a lot like the Lucino books is that the plots are so complex and convoluted and the dialogue is very complex and how things kind of come about is very just complicated and it makes for interesting reading very technical reading but interesting reading it certainly probably has a i wouldn't i don't think i would ever recommend alphabet squadron very high up in the first books you should read category yeah yeah and i also feel like especially with with shadowfall even more than alphabet squadron i think i read it i'm like that was pretty good and then a week later i'm like Oh yeah, that was good. Like it, it hits you yeah. on on the on the second thought pass. You have to reflect on it, certainly. Yeah, which is why and we did these. It's almost like yes, a movie. Exactly. I mean, we've talked about how the first time you go see one of the new saga films, like it's it's one experience, and then you have to go see it again to process it. It's like that's yeah. there's that much detail in these books, right? So, all right, let's talk about the next character. I know Eric is dying to talk about this guy, and he could Can't never wait. wait until next week. So. Let's talk about Will Lark. And Let's do it! <laughs> and Will's demon, which is that he is a pacifist fighting a war. Uh, so throughout this novel, we see Will struggling with really wanting to relate to and make peace with his enemies. And it all seems to stem from that conversation that he had in the Oradol Cluster back in Alphabet Squadron with Blink from Shadowing. And repeatedly throughout this book, we see him thinking about that conversation and thinking about what Blink is up to. Um, (laughs) Blink 182. (laughs) And uh, he even tries to communicate (laughs) with Blink. What do you all think is the appeal there? Is it really anything to do with Blink or even Shadowfall? Or is it just about Will's idea of his enemy? I I don't know. Who is Blink, by the way? It was just one of the rant. I don't think we know specifically which shadowing pilot know. it was, but it was. Yeah, it's just one of the pilots. Yeah, one of the type. Yeah, pilots. okay. I kept waiting for Blink to show up because there was that, there was that weird scene that had I think like two or three follow up points on where that one pilot was like, one of the Alphabet Squadron pilots tried to communicate with us, and he thinks he knows Blink, and I have an idea. And the chapter ended. You remember that? Yeah, someone, then, someone does say then, that. Then somebody, maybe was it Cedia, maybe somebody ended up talking to him and telling him that this is the 204th or whatever. And then I think he mentioned it later on, too, that that somebody tried to contact him, and that's how I knew. So Blink did yeah, reach out it. and tell him, hey, this is Shadowing. Like, we're here, and you should yeah. leave this battle, like, or you're going yeah, to die. Was but, we, but we still don't know. We don't know for sure that it was Blink, but, like... Will thinks it was. it was Blink, and it was that someone. That was a named character. Whoever whoever said that they had the idea to reach out to them again, like, I don't know if that was Blink. I think it was a female, wasn't it? Uh, it remember. said that it was it's a fun. neither male or uh, neither male nor female voice, I'm pretty sure. So it was... All, yeah. the, all, the, all, the Shadowfall, all the Shadowfall members that they named are, like, way over my head. Like, yeah. I wish that... What, what did the books used to have? Like, the Legends book the used to Dramatis have the names? Dramatis Personae. Yeah, they used to have those in the beginning of the book. This is like the first canon book I've ever read that I'm like, I really wish I had one. I of think Thrawn Ascendancy is going to have one, right? Yes, it, it will. Yeah. Nice. They announced that. Um, Sorry, that was quite the tangent. No, but to your to your point, Charles, I think that ultimately Will's, and as far as I understand it, right, Will's desire to talk to Blink or to ha- to kind of 
identify with shadowing comes at, I think, his core belief that people are good and that if we just talked a little more, then conflict could be ended. He wants as few lives. He's an idealist. Yeah. So I don't think he's a pacifist necessarily because he is a war- he is a leader of a squadron. Like, he will shoot who he has to shoot. Like, he will, he will do that. Um, if force is required, he will lead. But I think that at the end of the day, he says every life saved is valuable, regardless of whether it's New Republic or Imperial. A life is a life. And that sounds to be something that is kind of ingrained in him on his home planet, the way he talks about it on, mm-hmm. um, oh, not Pisana, but some something like that. I forgot the name of it. Oh, now um, I'm blanking on it. And, and home, home, right? But I, I think that uh, <laughs> his home planet, like, they seem to be very much about the the value of life. I mean, they fly on living beings and they, they work together. And I think that he thinks if I can kind of take that philosophy and attribute it to the New Republic military, then maybe that'll bleed into the rest of the Imperials and then they won't have to die. We won't have to die. And then we can actually build up some new actual new government and some actual new world. And at the end of the day, he'll finally be able to go home again, which I think is what he wants. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, Corey, do you have any thoughts on why Will is so obsessed with talking to Blink? I I don't know. I, I've I've kind of refl- I haven't reflected on this question. I have asked this question a lot. I think I was kind of what I was getting at with with like who is Blink, and I haven't really reflected on this enough to have a profound enough answers. But I think it's I think it is a, a deep reason. Like it's it's like a it's like a deeply rooted idealistic reason. Like almost he doesn't want to fight his enemy because he is kind of pacifist like, although I don't know if I'd really quite use the word pacifist because he is, you know, here and fighting this war and stuff. So he is, I don't know. Yeah. I think he's, I think, I think will is just, I think he's sort of faced the reality that war is hell kind of more so than anybody else. And like, yeah, he's asking those fundamental questions that all soldiers ask is like, what the hell are we doing out here? Right? Like, why are we doing this? Why can't we just come to an agreement? And having that brief conversation with Blink kind of opened it up to that, like maybe negotiation is a thing. <laughs> maybe we can do this, kind of like Princess Leia, right? Yeah, like, right. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I have a couple passages that I want to get to from page 312. This was a big page for Will. Uh, because it's when he was sneaking away from the New Republic forces to try to contact shadowing uh but nath ends up stopping him and nath says to him i'm saving your sorry butt brother from the consequences of your actions you really brother wanna... <laughs> yeah brother. he says brother a lot <laughs> very um, hulk hogan in this book <laughs> <laughs> he says you really want to resolve this thing peacefully walk away from the people who blew up the lodestar probably killed quell and chas i'm in i'll follow it's not my job to set things right this time and no one ever accused me of patriotism but if you want to walk away without firing a shot, you be prepared to live with it. If Operation Cinder comes around again, if Shadowing picks up where they left off, you don't get to have regrets. And Will thinks to himself in response to this, if they killed Quell, if they killed Chas, if they killed Nath and Kairos like they killed Riot Squadron, it still wouldn't change what's right. So it seems like Will is saying that what's right is not fighting a war, not hunting down Shadowing, and yet he continues to do it. So what's keeping him fighting? That's a good question. I think actually. it's the live the lives of the people around him. I think that 
ultimately he's like i think it's wrong inherently to kill and the loss of all life is valuable but i have sworn an oath to protect these people and this book he he is the one that becomes a leader which is crazy mm-hmm. i mean that that was one of the weird things about you know reading his passages is this guy who works so well as a you know a person who follows commands and who makes you know makes decisions in flight now has to command a whole squad of people on the ground and in the air and i think he realizes that his you know i guess his duty is now to make sure all these people make it home all these people make it off this planet alive and that supersedes his idealism which i think shows him a, a little bit of maturity in that way of in a perfect galaxy i would love for none of this to happen but it is happening so I will do what I can to protect those people that have put their trust in me. And I think that's what he, you know, he, he, he fails now and then throughout the book. But I think ultimately he rises to that occasion because he takes that very seriously. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love that answer. Um, I, I think that you're probably right. Will is basically putting the needs of those around him who have entrusted their safety uh, above even what he's comfortable with, with his own ideals. Um, one interesting point that I think got brought up by Nath, again, because Nath really does serve well as kind of a mirror for Will in this book, but on page 218, um, he's talking about basically becoming friends with the, ga- with the ground troops. And Nath says, you don't much like fighting face-to-face, and you don't like being reminded that it happens. And Will doesn't deny this at all, but he seems to be a lot more comfortable with the idea of piloting a starfighter and having these space battles. Do you find it hypocritical at all that he's okay with with being a a starfighter pilot, (laughs) uh, but not even being able to handle a discussion about hand-to-hand combat without having to walk away? Ooh. I I certainly sort of... It sort of points out the hypocrisy, as you say, of of war and leadership and certainly the type of trauma that different types of soldiers experience is different, right? And <clears throat> it's easy to drop bombs and, you know, never see the consequences of your actions and those types of things. Like, um, you guys have heard me talk a lot about, like, like there's a lot of discussion about this from people who were bombers and pilots in World War II. Like I've read a lot of those World War II books. Like I'm always coming back to this. <laughs> My understanding yeah. of of war is is from books like that. And you see that a lot. Like there's a lot of philosophical discussion of like what are we doing? Like we burn entire cities and you see the reports that we've killed hundreds of thousands of people basically and like like dealing with the consequences of this almost intangible cost of war. Like you never, they're never on the ground. Right. So I certainly think it's a little hypocritical of, of, of will to sort of even try to reach out to blink if that's who he was trying to contact and maybe try to turn this. He certainly could have made it worse for the people on the ground, I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah. And and I think that, Mm -hmm. um, uh, actually, actually, Emma in the chat makes a really great point I was just about to make. She says, shooting down a ship is much different than killing a person face-to-face. It's easy to pretend that ships don't have people in them. And I think oh, that absolutely. is a very key thing. 
of like I blew up a ship or like you're saying, Corey, like we dropped a bomb on a town, which are right. things, which are objects. Now we can we can logically understand that a pilot is flying a plane or there are people in those buildings, but the psychology of a soldier, the psychology of a pilot, I think that's how you go to bed at night is I completed this mission and how many ships were lost versus if I'm in hand-to-hand combat, especially like even without a gun, like if you're with a knife or fists, like the, the amount of aggression and disregard for the value of human life it takes to physically kill someone or physically hurt someone is pretty intense. Um, so for Will especially, to get back to, to the character, I think that he can definitely rationalize Okay, my ship is is a being that I have a relationship with. We are flying. We are destroying these other machines. Whereas if I have to take on someone else with my hands, that means Will Lark is harming the life of a person. And that's a whole different psychological ballgame. It's funny, though. I think it's a great point that you bring up that he even talks to his own ship like it's a living being. So he's almost elevating right. inanimate objects and then uh, acting as if, you know, people in other ships who are just as much a person as him and less a person than his own ship that he has such a great relationship with don't even exist. I think Will would be horrified to be presented with the number of people that he's killed during this war. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I personally actually hope we see that, and that's a key part of his character arc, is in the next book he's forced to be without a ship and deal with the reality of war, like, on the ground. I think that would be a very unique perspective um, for him. Like, um, <laughs> have you guys seen uh, Have you guys seen Saving Private Ryan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you, you know Oppum's uh, uh, character arc? Right, like the translator guy, like he's kind of cowardly throughout the throughout the movie. And at the end, he has to face the reality that like there is a war going on, and he has to he shoots that guy that like was the prisoner from earlier in the movie. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think Will needs that to 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 deal with the reality of these are people trying to kill you, and they've committed atrocities, and you're yes, war is hell, but you're fighting for a cause, and it's almost like he needs. He needs a a dose of reality uh, about the stakes and like mm-hmm. what is happening. It seems like he's this entire psychological experience of uh, this planet and this battle has really affected his judgment. I think of kind of what they're doing, right? Like, like who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and why it's worth it and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah so. You know, despite the fact that uh, that Will is struggling with his role in this war, he somehow finds himself a commander of his own starfighter squadron. So, Eric, you referenced this earlier. It's almost as if Alexander Freed, friend of the show, was listening to us way back when when we made our <laughs> starfighter squadrons because uh, exactly. <laughs> a lot of us put Will in a very high-ranking position. Uh, and now he is a commander. So how did Will do as a commander and where did you see his strengths and his weaknesses in that role? He did all right. I think overall, um, I think his strength was definitely caring for his people and making sure that he never acted too rashly with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is. I think when we see people who are new in command, it goes one way or the other, right? You're either sending everyone into battle at the beginning to go crazy, 
or you're really playing it a little bit safe because you know that every life loss is going to hit you. And I think Will definitely falls in that second category. I think that he believes all these pilots and people that have never really been official pilots are putting their trust in him. He knows that they're flying, you know, buckets of bolts that are held together with duct tape at a certain point are never meant to fly out of atmosphere. So he's really being careful with their lives. And I think that's a, that's a strength of his. But I also do think that makes it a little bit of a weakness at the same time because he is not quite willing to make the hard choices where, okay, we need to send these people and they might die, but it will allow these other groups to get out. And like I think he's a little hesitant as a commander because he's not used to commanding people as numbers rather than as people, which I do think is something that really effective commanders kind of have to do at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um I think he gets better at that by the end of the book. He keeps that empathy but gets a little a little more confident in his own ability to lead. But at the beginning especially, I think he's really scared of losing any pilots because that's on him forever. Corey, do you agree with that? Yeah, I really have anything to add to that. That's a beautiful way to put that. I think it, it's kind of cool because being the commander really highlights – your weaknesses. And I think to be entirely frank that, that Quell is a worse commander than will in most ways. And I feel that way after seeing him actually in that role. And yet I found myself looking at him with a much more critical eye. And then that almost Mm -hmm. made me be more sympathetic to Quell because I was like, that's how I'm always looking at her you know, and, and her failures right, are the sure. failures of the squadron. They're not just personal, but yeah, that's he, fascinating. That is a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. And like, I don't know. He, he jumps to some crazy conclusions, right? Like he's really, he's really into the idea that they were trying to build some kind of weapon or bomb or something mm-hmm. in this factory. Yeah. Right. Which was, that was like kind of really out of left field. It's very interesting that he got hung up on that, but like, um, I don't know. We have a level of sympathy, I feel like, for Will because he was a squadron member first before he was a commander in a lot of ways. So yeah. I still view him as the squadron member that's been forced into command. Yeah. Well, and and it's interesting, too, because because he was a squadron member, he's so used to being the one that finds the intelligence or, be, or being the one that's in the front lines. So every second that he has to sit back and actually listen to someone else's info or sit back and form a giant plan where he can't be out in front drives him crazy. And I think that you make a great point, Charles, is that we've seen we have seen Quell like that from day one, and we've been like, "Come on, you gotta you gotta command better, you gotta command better, you gotta command better." But because Freed did a great job of setting up empathy for Will through both of these books, frankly, but mostly in the first one, by the time he gets to command, we already love him and we already want him to succeed, so we're willing to give him a little more leeway, if you will. Right. Uh, absolutely, and. At the end of this book, we see Will kind of circle back to where he was at the beginning. And he's once again thinking about if he should reach out to Blink, if he should contact Blink. But he stops himself this time rather than someone else having to do it. And he decides that he doesn't need guidance from Blink or anyone else from Shadowing or even from General Sindula, but rather that he wants guidance from his elders back home, um, capital H, which I now recall is Polinius. Linnaeus, thank you. He again states his intent to return home. In the first roundtable for Alphabet Squadron, we we discussed, is this guy ever going to get home? Because it seems like they're setting him up 
to never make it back there by repeatedly voicing the fact that that's all he wants in this time of war is to go back home. Do you guys think that he will make it back home after the events of Shadowfall? (sighs) Hilariously, um, during our first round table, I said I thought home was going to be destroyed in the second book. I thought that was going to be, it was going to be cindered and things, and he would have to deal with that. (laughs) Cinder. Um, But I do honestly think, even though this book was dark, I think he will. I think that he will survive the third book now, learn all these things, and take that information back home to help them join the greater galaxy in a bigger way. I just got a feeling. Corey? That's really hard to say, man. Like, I think, I don't remember what I said about in Alphabet Squadron if I thought he was going to make it home. Now seeing how they can kill off major characters. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever an author kills off major characters, I'm always like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, Who knows? They could, they, they could all go down. They could. In the third one. What if every single, every single member just blows up? It'd be crazy. It could be Rogue Squadron 2.0 or, uh, or Rogue One 2.0 rather. We don't know. That's right. So no I, I kind of feel like he's not going to make it back. I don't really have a lot to back that up other than I think Freed is going to try to hit us in the feels. And if one of these people, you know, is, is going to make me feel terrible if they die in battle, it would probably be Will more than anyone else. No um, question there. But, y'all, we're going to hold off there before discussing the rest of Alphabet Squadron with Nath and Kairos and everyone else. And uh, we're going to save it for next week. So, Eric, I'm going to kick it back to you. Brilliant. Well, as Charles said, we will be back next week on Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, to finish up our conversation of Shadowfall. Obviously, this is a massive book, but thank you all for hanging out for the first half. And that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you're already supporting us over on Patreon, we super appreciate it. We would usually do our Aftermath after show in Discord right now, but we ran a little late tonight, so we'll be back with that next week. Uh, a special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Drew Iberando, Alec Householder, and Patrick Ortiz and our Jedi High Council, and Sally and Chris Eilerson are in our Alliance High Command for your amazing support. You can find us on Twitter at Eric Eilerson, Corey is at DocStarWarsMD, Charles is at C. Henkel. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To Corey, to Charles, to Wes for podcasting with me. Thank you to everyone in the chat for hanging out tonight. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.